but people are a challenge, behaviours are a challenge, convenience is a challenge. You know, sustainability is not easy, it's not cheap. Um, and we need to take people on that journey with us. And we are committed as a city to being, to ensuring a just transition. Welcome to Smart in the City, the Bobble podcast. I am your host, Tamlin Shimizu. And really at Bobble, we aim to connect the players in the smart city industry with high quality information and ideas through our platform and services. This podcast is really an extension of this goal and mission to drive the change for a better urban life. Before we get started, I wanted to inform all you lovely listeners about a great opportunity. Babel has now opened applications for the Innovation Market Watch for 2023. So top smart city companies, you are invited to apply before the 29th of July. And of course, it's free to apply as well. So just follow the link in the show notes. Now on to the regular programming. So today I have the absolute pleasure to come to you on this journey from the exciting and inspiring city of Glasgow in Scotland. And while it is alone to be here in Glasgow, a pleasure, and what is even more of a pleasure is to sit down with Gavin Slater himself, um, who is the head of sustainability at Glasgow City Council. So welcome onto the show, Gavin. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. I think I've said pleasure way too many times <laughs> already starting off, but really it's um, we're sitting here in the magnificent uh, Glasgow City Chambers. Um, yeah, thanks so much. And uh, so just to get us started off a bit, uh, warmed up, so to say, I, I was wondering, so uh, here in City Chambers, I heard that um, it supposedly has more marble than the Vatican, is that true? Yeah, I believe that's true. It was <laughs> built in the 1800s um, by the merchants that were bringing lots of goods into the city. Um, and yeah, I believe that's true. There's more marble than the Vatican. It's it's a beautiful building. Um, and can you tell me any other maybe interesting, unrelated, if if you want, facts about Glasgow? Oh, well, there are so many. Um, perhaps one worth mentioning is the room that you're sitting in. Um, the wallpaper is actually gold leaf. That is properly gold. It's not just wallpaper. So, yeah, it's an incredible building, and we're very, very lucky um, to work here. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm a bit afraid I'm going to like fall and spill coffee on the walls or something. Now, <laughs> now nah, we've had we've had floods and we've had all sorts of broken pipes and different things happen, but the building's still standing. So you'll be okay. It's a strong one. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Glasgow. That's it. It's resilient. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good good um yeah so I, I would like to first ask you a bit you've worked with the council for quite some time now um can you tell me a bit about your background and really how has it led you here yeah I've been with Glasgow City Council for 13 years now um which is the longest that I've been anywhere in my career <laughs> um so I studied environmental science at university um and then when I finished that I spent a good few years in consultancy um, but I always really wanted to get involved in sort of policy and, and trying to make a real difference um, from a from a public sector point of view, really, not to be operating in the private sector and worried, most concerned about profit, but actually be concerned about doing the right thing. So I fortunately managed to land a position as an energy officer at Glasgow City Council in 2009. Um, and at that time... Energy's, the real concern then was about the cost of energy and trying to reduce the costs. 
And over time, I've worked through that position as an energy officer. And then I took over the carbon management team. So it was a broader remit about the management of our carbon emissions in the, the city council. Um, and then I got involved in a, a, an Innovate UK funded project, a £24 million project called Future City Glasgow, which was all yeah. about trying to look at data and, and big data and smart tools to try and make Glasgow a smart city. Um, and after that, I was involved in evaluating whether or not an energy services company would be something the city needed before eventually taking over the sort of city energy side and then ultimately head of sustainability, um, where I've been since just over two years now. And then um, fortunately, took that position in the run up to COP26 and was very lucky to be quite involved with COP26 as well. Yeah, good. And um, so you mentioned COP26 and I'm kind of going off script here with saying, um, how do you see the impact of COP26 now coming out of that? And um, yeah, can you comment to that? Of course, there's criticism on on all sides about, you know, was it really impactful? What can we do to make these um, events more impactful? Do you have any insights on that? Yeah, I, I think um, locally it had a, a massive impact. Um, in the run-up to COP26, sustainability was a bit of a niche subject. Um, and we fought hard to to get the message across. But it's been a subject that's been close to Glasgow's heart for a long time. We started Sustainable Glasgow in 2010. So we've, we've been on that mission, but it has been still a bit of a niche subject. When COP26 came, it really exploded. Um, the net zero agenda really exploded. And now we're recruiting for seven new members of staff. We're building the team up. We've got a whole new governance system in place within the council to make Glasgow net zero by 2030. Um, and I would say the expectation has risen exponentially. Um, it's quite difficult to deal with, actually, that sort of raised <laughs> level of expectation. And that's been really positive. Um, on the flip side, as you say, COP26 perhaps didn't go as far as we might have wanted globally. Um, mm. We did get the Glasgow Pact and there is some good stuff in there. Um, but yeah, I think we, you know, we continue on this journey. We've got COP27 coming and we keep pushing ahead and we'll make progress. But I think everyone agrees we need to be making more progress at more pace. So, yeah, yeah, great. That's uh, thank you for sharing those insights. And I guess also it leads me to the question: What is sustainability? Yeah, what is sustainability? I think sustainability gets a new name every couple of years. Is it sustainability? Is it carbon? Is it resilience? Is it you know net zero? Um, and I think it's never really changed in terms of the concerns about being about the environment, about being social people and. Um, and ultimately, we're still trying to do the same things. We're trying to reduce our carbon. We're doing a lot of work, both in mitigation and adaptation. So we do a lot of projects, you know, that involve renewables or renewable heat or, or whatever it might be, building um, retrofit. But we're also doing a lot of work on things like the urban heat island effect, um, flood water management, because you know one of the biggest risks from climate change to a city like Glasgow is more rainfall and more flooding. So. Um, We've, we've recently taken on a bit of a new mantra in Glasgow, and that is that sustainability is everybody's job every day. And I think that's the real big change for us is that what we're trying to achieve hasn't changed, but everybody now realises that they have a role in that, whether that's in building management, quite obviously, or whether it's transport, or whether it's procurement, or whether it's social work, whatever it might be, every aspect of their job has a potential impact on our sustainability. So it's really now beginning to impact all aspects of working life in Glasgow and, li and living in Glasgow and, you know, being part of the city. 
Yeah, thanks for that. And I guess um, that leads me into, can you talk a bit about the focus of your work? Um, I know that you've, uh, you have a climate plan, um, something along those lines. Is that your focus or what, what is really the focus of your work? Yeah, so the, the, the focus of our work is the climate plan. We perhaps um, unfortunately have a large number of plans and policies and strategies in Glasgow. Um, and what I'm trying to do is make everything sit underneath the umbrella of the climate plan. So ultimately, when we started Sustainable Glasgow in 2010, our target was to reduce our emissions by 30% by 2020. Um, by 2019, which is our last full year of data, we had reduced by over 41%. So massively exceeded our goals. Our new target is to be net zero carbon by 2030. And that is our over um, um, over arching ambition. But underneath that, we have lots of different things like our plastic reduction strategy, our circular economy route map, our adaptation plan, many, many plans and policies, our local heat and energy efficiency strategy, all of which take on more detailed analysis or detailed action in relation to those specific things, but all of which sit within that ambition of being net zero carbon by 2030. So ultimately, that's our that's our overriding ambition is to, to reach that target. What's the biggest hurdle? There isn't just one big hurdle. <laughs> there are so many big hurdles. That's the biggest hurdle, that there are so many hurdles. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, there are there are so many hurdles. It's We have we have been given estimations that to make Glasgow net zero is somewhere in the region between four and 29 billion pounds. So, so money's money. a big issue. And it's not the availability of money per se, it's access to that money. So there is lots of private capital out in the world, but it's difficult for us to develop that and work on it to get access to that funding. Um, another challenge is, is just the sheer pace that we need to go at the kind of infrastructure that we need to make um, is, is transformational. So Glasgow, by and large, is heated through gas, which is not something that we want to continue. We want to convert to renewable district heating networks, but those don't get built in a day. So you know they'll take years to build themselves. And, and you know another challenge as well, and I don't mean this to sound negative about people, but people are a challenge. Behaviours are a challenge. Convenience is a challenge. You know, sustainability is not easy. It's not cheap. Um, and we need to take people on that journey with us. And we are committed as a city to being to ensuring a just transition. So that's key. You hear that a lot from Glasgow politicians. And it's a very key tenant in what we're trying to do. We can't leave anyone behind. Those people who need the most are the ones most affected by climate change. So we have to make sure that those people come with us on that journey and that we take care of them. And that they get there because ultimately to become net zero is going to cost money. It's going to be difficult. It's going to take effort. So we need to make sure that they're helped along that journey as well. So those are just a few of the, the challenges that we face. But we honestly believe that they're not, they're not insurmountable. It just takes a lot of work, um, a lot of collaboration and a lot of commitment to get there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I was just actually at the Urban Future Conference um, in Helsingborg, and I heard a, a lot of frustration um, from a lot of practitioners and city councils along this um, kind of polling from different uh, ways, right, from politicians in different ways. Have you found in your years of experience some way of 
like overcoming this kind of on the political level, maybe politicians have different goals or they want to be reelected, for example, and they're worried about this perception from the people side. Um, have you have you come across any ways to kind of reconcile that and work better together? Yeah, I mean, working in a political sphere, that's something you can't avoid. Yeah. So politicians work within a, a, a specific life cycle um, and it's understandable that they concern themselves with their ongoing position. Um, for us, it's really down to making as compelling a case for change as possible. And I think when you look back to 2019, when we declared a state of climate and ecological emergency, that had cross-party support. When we set up the climate plan, that had cross-party support. So by and large in Glasgow, politically, there is full support for our agenda. That doesn't, however, mean that when we come up with specific actions, that there can be nuances on those actions depending on the party that we are speaking to. And I guess in some ways that reflects just normal people as well. Everybody has their own agenda. Everybody has their own concerns. And it's for us to do the best that we can to find that compromise somewhere without compromising the environment, but trying to achieve what we want to achieve. So um, we have been through lots of negotiations with politicians. We try to work as closely with them as we can and inform them as much as possible on the reasons why we're making suggestions why we're making the proposals that we are and that doesn't mean that we always get it right but I think it is about that ongoing sort of dialogue and, and, and keeping um, that almost co-creative approach to it yeah. so um, as I say we're, we're fortunate in that we, we mostly have support for what we're trying to do but at the same time you know we, we do meet tensions with things like job creation and you know economic boosts that maybe don't don't fit entirely with our agenda. And what we're trying to do is find a way to splice those things together. So, you know, we're developing a green economy and a green new deal for Glasgow and looking at how that sustainable net zero future still generates skills and jobs and opportunities. And, and I, I hesitate to use the word, but growth, mm -hmm. but a sustainable growth, you know, something that, that makes sure that there are opportunities for the citizens of Glasgow without consuming more materials than we need and, and doing more damage than we need to the environment. So it's really about dialogue. It's a constant dialogue. And, and, you know, we can get so far and then the political makeup of the council might change and we have to rethink what we're doing. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I can appreciate the frustration that comes with that as officers, but that's our job. That's what we have to do. So it's um, it's a long, a long period of negotiation. You have a tough job. <laughs> I don't think I have a no? tough job. I think I have a great job. I think I have a chance to speak to people and help make those changes. And um, that's, a, that's a fortunate position to be in. You know, it's, it's, and it's, sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's great. You know, it's, so you just take each day as it comes and try and, and, and make those differences. But I would never claim to have a tough job. I think I'm fortunate. Yeah, good. Um, and I also had another thought because when you were speaking, because you mentioned you wanted to get away from this kind of the profit industry of the private sector. And um, now you have to work quite collaboratively with the private sector on a lot of these issues. Mm -hmm. um, how can you do that better? And what, yeah, what issues do you face? Yeah, I mean, I think when, when I personally wanted to get away from that profit sort of position, I was a lot younger. I had a lot more hair um, for the listeners I'm bald. <laughs> um, but now I appreciate the value of the private sector and I appreciate 
their purpose and why they do have to make a profit. And, you know, the work that we are doing currently um, around district heating, for example, is about how we work with the private sector and how we set up the conditions in the city that allow the private sector to come in as the experts, because we are not the experts. We are not um, set up to build, operate, manage and maintain district heating networks. But there are many private sector operators, operators out there who are, and we have to work with them. And they, they need to make a profit. That's ultimately what they have to do. And there are opportunities for them to make that profit and serve the citizens of Glasgow without that. So we can set up conditions around concessions and contracts that allow them that opportunity to make a profit commercially with the, the, the other private sector operators, but maybe limit any profit that they could make from domestic customers. So it's again about finding that compromise. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. And I've also heard about this um, innovation district. I what what's the status of that? And uh, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I, I think you're referring to the Climate Neutral Innovation District. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we're sitting in the heart of it right now. It's the city centre, um, and it, it runs from the University of Strathclyde down to the River Clyde, um, and then east and west a little bit. And ultimately, it's um, the innovation district was set up not as a climate um, approach. It was set up, as, a, as, as it suggests, to help develop innovation. Um, and the university um, you know, work with us in terms of building new buildings and growing their campus and opportunities for SMEs and, and the like. But they recognised with us that they had the opportunity, given the large estate that they own in a very concentrated area, to make... Um, interventions that would that would help deal with the climate emergency, and it's very key that it's called a climate neutral innovation district and not just a carbon neutral innovation district because it's about mitigation and adaptation. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of things that we've done in partnership with the university, who are also partners with us in Sustainable Glasgow, to look at um, you know what interventions we can pl place to do that. So you know what what can we do in terms of vehicle access to maybe improve pedestrian access what can we do with green and blue infrastructure to to deal with the urban heat island effect um, and i guess one of the biggest things that we're looking at as well is again on that district heating side so the university already has a district heating network that deals with a proportion of its campus but it's fed off gas and it has accepted and realized that that is not the position they want to be in it's not going to be net zero we do have a huge opportunity to extract heat from the river clyde so hopefully while you're here in Glasgow, you'll get the chance to go down and see the river. Um, but there is estimated to be about eight times the volume of heat required to heat the city sitting latent in, in the, the water. And we can use heat wow. pumps to extract that heat from the river. And we can run potentially run pipe networks from the river through this innovation district. And then we have anchor loads that the council can put in, like the chambers that we're sitting in and the offices behind and the university has anchor loads. So we can then start to build that network out. Um, and that actually was featured in our um, prospectus before COP26 as a 500 million pound project looking for investment. So that innovation district is, the, the innovation there is more about bringing all the stakeholders together and saying, right, okay, how, what is it we want to achieve? How do we achieve it? How much finance do we need? Where do we get the money? who takes responsibility for building that. So we're only in phase one, really. We've done the phase one feasibility, so we know what we want to achieve. 
but there are other phases in terms of how do we fund it, who takes responsibility for it, who's the lead. So we're setting up working groups through Sustainable Glasgow to continue that that process. But you know, going back to what we said earlier, we need to accelerate that pace to get it done in time. So hopefully we'll you know go through phase two in the next year. Cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, we, I know we worked with um, the city of Belfast on on some of these issues, and we had a lot of stake. We interviewed a lot, a lot of stakeholders around this. Um, what other stakeholders are involved? So you mentioned the university, and how do you involve them and get them, um, yeah, cohesively together? Yeah. So. Um as I said, they're already partners with us in Sustainable Glasgow. Sustainable Glasgow has 16 core members that sit on the board and they cover academic institutions like the University of Strathclyde and the University of Glasgow. But we also also have the National Health Service on board, the Scottish Government, um, the, the Wheatley Group, which is a, a group of housing associations in the city. So Glasgow City Council, unlike other councils, doesn't have any council housing. So all of, our house, all of our housing stock was transferred out to resident social landlords or housing associations. So they work with us because they manage that housing estate. Um, so there are a variety of different partners there, including Scottish Power, who they're there by virtue of the fact that they own the cables under the ground in Glasgow. So anything we do is likely to involve them. So it's good to have them at the table to work with. But they're a very different, that's Scottish Power Energy Networks. They're a very different entity to Scottish Power the retail company. Mm. So there's, there's a difference. Um, and we all work together to, to develop that. So with the Climate Neutral Innovation District, we already had some of those relationships. We, we brought together funding with the university and then we brought in professional companies and consultancies to work with us. But also local companies like Star Renewables, who are a local company that build heat pumps and have deployed heat pumps uh, across the world. They've deployed heat pumps to take entire villages in, I think, Norway. Um, onto heat pump district heating so that you know they really know what they're doing but also bringing in financial experts and technical experts and you know we had a huge consortium working on it we then bring in other sort of NGO national government organisations like um, Scottish Enterprise to look at the kind of skills that are required to deliver that um, so it's quite a quite a, a big collaboration of people um, and what we did is we had a, a sort of working group to go through the process but also a steering group to look at what was being delivered and see if it fits strategically with what the city's doing. So it's a, it's a big piece of work and colleagues at the university have done a great job kind of corralling everyone together and, and delivering that. Um, my role really in it was to look at the outputs that were coming and see, you know, how do they fit with what we were trying to achieve strategically and where can we support those things going forward? So um, it's an ongoing kind of exercise and it's, an ongoing, it's a difficult thing to manage that kind of stakeholder engagement piece and it takes a lot more time and resource than people think yeah yeah it's huge um mm. that's what we found as well that it's it's a huge undertaking so um yeah good on you for really bringing this all to life together with partners of course yeah i can't take all the credit yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so just really one last um more serious question i suppose but um so with a plan we do a lot of planning um, and we have to, of course, do a lot of planning. But what would you say is the kind of the key to stop planning and then just start implementing some things? Because I think some people are saying, oh, it takes so long. The government takes so long to get anything done. So how do we start stop planning and start implementing? 
Yeah, it's a great question, and it's one that we um, we think about all the time. And I can I can appreciate people's frustrations when they look at that and think, oh, more strategizing, more planning. But um, I, again, it goes back to that. I think if you if you looked at things ten years ago, to put a wind turbine somewhere was a big undertaking, and you had to convince people that the, that technology was dependable. But you know, nothing was really changing with that and there was there was fairly static support for these things over time the rate of change of technology means that it's very difficult to back something with all your horses you know because tomorrow it could be so you know for example a few years ago we were putting gas combined heating power engines in district heating wherever we could a few years later oh, we shouldn't have done that gas is not the the answer we should have been doing something else so even with all the planning that you put in place, those plans have to change all the time. And it's, it's about finding a balance between striking action and getting stuff done, um, but not putting all of your eggs into a basket that then, oh, that was the wrong technology. And we now need to dig that all up again, because as much as people might get frustrated with the idea that we're sitting thinking but not doing they get equally frustrated if we do something and then come back a year later and say, no, we're taking that away and we're doing something else. So um, it's a challenge, it sure is. And, and you know, we are responsible for spending public money and we need to make sure we're doing it absolutely in the best way we can with the best knowledge that we can find. Um, but we are taking action all the time. And you know, I have my team set up so that I do have people thinking about what is coming down the line in terms of policy. And national government is always pushing us for policy. You know, they might recognise something and say, well, we need to focus on this and we need you to have a policy on that. And that forces our hand um, in terms of reacting to that and having the right policy for it. But I also have a part of my team that is there to build and get projects up and running. So, you know, in the past, the past few years, we've um, installed 300 electric vehicle charge points in the city, right? And, and that's been great. We get a lot of feedback on the success of that, but also this one's not working. Can you fix it? And all the work that comes with that. But we are constantly thinking, is that the right solution? You know, are electric vehicles the answer? Do we want that many chargers in the streets? When will the private sector get involved? So we can't afford to just pick an action and then go for that because the world changes at such a rate now that we have to always be aware of what's going on. So I think ultimately what it comes down to is communication and maybe what we lack is a really strong communication with the public to make them understand what we are doing and why we're doing it and where we're making progress and why we're thinking about these other things. Um, and that's something we're getting better at. We've got a new website and we're putting a lot of information out there to show people the Sustainable Glasgow website, show them what we are doing. Um, and, and you know, quite often the things that we're doing are a bit invisible. You know, so if yeah. we're, put, you know, they're, they're under the ground or they're not very visible. So helping people understand what it is we are doing, you know, and helping them understand the impacts of what we're doing on their lives um, and on the environment. So, yeah, I think there's probably more action than people recognise, but then we probably aren't doing as good a job as we perhaps should in communicating that to people. Yeah, yeah, good answer. Um, so that will conclude our main interview section. And now we just get to have a little bit more fun. <laughs> I hope you're ready. Um, so now we will go into a segment that I call uh, Roll with the Punches. 
Welcome to Roll with the Punches. Answer this or that questions quickly and with your first instincts. Okay. Um, and then at the end, you'll get the chance if you want to explain your answer, but you have to just pick one quickly. Okay. 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 Um, they're not too difficult. Don't worry. <laughs> um, Northern Ireland or Wales? Wales. Celtic or Rangers? Celtic. <laughs> night owl or early bird? Uh, I used to be a night owl. Now I'm an early bird. <laughs> Tram or metro? Metro. All right. Do you want to explain any of your answers? <laughs> um, I think the night owl early bird one is just a symptom of age, probably, yeah. <laughs> um, and responsibility. Um, the only one I would go back on is maybe the metro tram one. Trams are amazing. They're very... <laughs> romantic but as a cyclist they're also potentially mm. very lethal in terms of getting your tires stuck in the tracks i've so, seen that happen too many yeah. times <laughs> it's quite um, tragic so hopefully metro eliminates that issue for cyclists okay yeah tough choice maybe a little bit of both um and so why wales um i think wales is probably closer to scotland in terms of character um I've all the time I've spent in Wales, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed the people from Wales. I have got some very good friends from Northern Ireland and I have to be clear about that. <laughs> um, but I perhaps haven't spent enough time in Northern Ireland to to um, be fond of it. So, yeah, yeah, so. it makes sense. Yeah, we, we worked with the, with the Welsh government for a while and I have to say, I, I really think that the the personalities that I shan't hear in the Welsh are quite similar. Um, uh, so I just I hope that. my Northern Irish friends don't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> they won't listen. No, um, we'll, we'll clear the air. Don't worry. Um, yeah. So yeah. Thanks for playing along. Um, and now I just have to ask you one, really one final question. And that's a question that we ask every single guest and it is uh, to you. What is a smart city? Oh, there's a question. Um, I guess, honestly, I think a smart city is one that listens and reacts to its citizens, um, meets to the best of its ability their expectations and wants and works with them from the ground up to deliver improvements and solutions. Um, and I think also is realistic about how it can do that. So, yeah, I think I think a smart city is a listening city. That's very, that's the perfect end, uh, end to our podcast, really. So um, with that, I have to give you a very warm thank you um, once again to letting us uh, invade on your very busy schedule um, and getting to dig into your thoughts more and learn from you a bit. Um, yeah, thanks so much, Gavin. Um, thank you. And to all of our listeners, if you want to learn more about projects and real-life implementations in smart cities in Europe and beyond, you can find more information on babel-smartcities.eu and be part of our community by signing up for free. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you at the next stop on the journey to a better urban life. Also, we have the most efficient subway um, in the world because oh. it just goes round in a circle. So if you miss your stop, you just keep it riding. just comes back round in a few minutes. <laughs>